like any like idea of what I was essentially doing. All I knew was that any opportunity I had to shine, I had to take it. So I volunteered more. I participated in research. I um, did scholarship programs and I essentially networked. I networked a lot. I spoke to a lot of people. It, it was so difficult because I had never met anyone in my situation. And up to now, I still haven't met anyone in my situation. Sometimes I have medical students saying, oh, Dr. Adeyu, how do you do this? I was like, um, I might not be the best person to advise you because I didn't take the MCAT. And they're like, whoa, like you're a unicorn. I'm like, well, if you want to say that. But basically, like, it was very difficult. I'll just say that I any opportunity that came my way and I felt like would make me look like a better candidate compared to other people who had everything. Attention all international medical students and graduates. Are you looking to improve your residency competitiveness and achieve your dream program match? Look no further. Introducing the 2023 IMG Roadmap course, the online program that will boost your personal and professional growth. This comprehensive course offers life cohort-based coaching from a seasoned expert, me, along with personalized feedback, templates, and even demos. You'll leave with a solid understanding of your personalized IMG journey and the skills you need to enhance it. You'll ditch the overwhelm and the best part, you can learn at your own pace from anywhere in the world. Whether you're a first year medical student or a graduate seeking concise practical coaching to improve your CV, this is the perfect investment for a successful career in the US. The IMG Roadmap is here. Be the first to know when the doors open in April of 2023. Sign up right now at drninaloom.com forward slash waitlist. Again, that's drninaloom.com forward slash waitlist. The IMG Roadmap is the only podcast dedicated to coaching international medical graduates and success blueprints for this unique pathway. I am Dr. Nina Loom, your host, a previous IMG turned hospital medicine physician, healthcare administrator, speaker, and coach. I empower, encourage, and equip you with actionable steps that you can take towards the residency position of your dreams. Hello, guys, and welcome to another episode of the IMG Roadmap podcast. Today's guest is near and dear to my heart. And I'll say that maybe I've said it before and you may be thinking, Dr. Loom, you say that all the time. But um, Dr. Toyosi Adeye is calling today on the podcast from Michigan. She's a PGY1 resident in OBGYN. And I'll let her tell you where she's training at if she wants to share that or not. Um, she's also a non-US IMG, someone that I have personally mentored um, and coached. She's been in my programs, the IMG Roadmap course, uh, maybe more than once. I don't even know. Um, but, you know, she's someone that I've known deeply over this process um, throughout her medical school journey. She went to Caribbean medical school just like I did. And so there's a lot of similarities in our story um, as well. But I'm so happy to have her because she's on night flow and she's made the time to join us today for what I believe with the next 20 minutes of just giving you packed wisdom that you can learn from her pathway and things that you can implement, especially if you're interested in OBGYN as a specialty. As many of you know, it's probably on the lower spectrum as far as like the number of IMGs that go into the specialty each year. 
Um, but it doesn't mean that it's impossible, right? And so hopefully listening to her today, you take away some pearls and tips. And so you got to listen to the very end to get every single word of advice that we have and um, all the surprises that we have for you today. So get ready and stay tuned. Welcome to the show, Dr. Toyosi. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. We've been trying to do this for a while and it just didn't line up with schedules. Um, so I'm so glad that we're able to do it today when you're rested after your shift last night. How was your shift? Um, very busy to say the least. <laughs> I caught a lot of babies. <laughs> That's all right. That's what you guys like to do, I guess, catching babies. At least when you start, you're all about catching babies. And then somewhere around third and fourth year, like, I want to specialize. I want to do something else. So <laughs> you know, that's part of the process. So tell us a little bit about your background, where you went to medical school, where you're from, and really sort of give us like perspective as to your IMG pathway so far. Okay, sure. Uh, I'm Nigerian. I was born and raised in Nigeria, um, majority of my life. Um, I finished high school there, I think around like 16. And then from there, I just went straight into medical school in the Caribbean. So I think that's one something that's really unique about um, my journey as an IMG. Like I never tried like the MCATs or anything like that. I just applied with my African exams. I went straight to the Caribbean. Um, <laughs> when I got to the Caribbean, it was a shock to say the least, uh, because I was in a more relaxed environment. And then when I got to medical school, it was like we're having monthly exams. And I was like, whoa, OK, how do you get here? Um, it was a bit of an adjustment, but I was able to pull through. Um, so from there, I did my um, medical school in All Saints University School of Medicine, Dominica. Um, then I think during my third, second year of medical school, there was a hurricane. Then I had to, um, my school was physically moved to another island, but it was still like the same school. Um, when St. Vincent and the Grenadines, but we're still like um, in Dominica, um, the Dominican campus. And from there, I finished everything I had to do with my MBMEs. I applied for my visa. I got my visa. And then I came to the United States to do my clinical rotations. I did all of my clinical rotations in Chicago. I didn't do it at one particular hospital. My school had like different affiliations with different hospitals. So from there, I was just moving a lot. And then after I passed my step one and step two, actually, I took my step one immediately. I finished from the island and then I came to the U.S. for rotations and I took my step two. And then um, I applied for residency and I matched. That's just like a quick summary of like my story. But like that's not like really the nitty gritty details because it was a, a very difficult journey. Yeah. yeah. And I know, you know, when you speak about your journey, one of the things that we I remember coaching you through was dealing with that feeling of my background is not ideal. Mm -hmm. um, And it's different because I don't have a pre-medical or a bachelor's degree in something specific. I didn't do the MCAT. I came straight from Nigeria. Um, So there was that sense of, which I also dealt with having a similar background, transferring from a university in Cameroon to the States or to the Caribbean. And so can you share with us a little bit about that and how maybe how that differs now? Because now you're in residency, you're ECFMG certified, you're mm-hmm. living that life, even though it's hard, it's all all fellows or residents lives are, but the daily work burden, but you're able to be in a career path in OB now that's like, whoa, that thing that I thought I didn't qualify for, here I am actually walking in it. So 
Can you give give us an understanding of what that was and what shifted? Um, okay, so for me, it was something that I would say I was really insecure about for a really long time. I always felt like, oh, I didn't go to um, a university. I won't say university. I didn't do an undergraduate degree. Um, but when, but I got direct admission into my medical school because there was a program available for that. Um, so during med school, I didn't feel particularly insecure because um, a lot of people in my class were in that same program. So it was fine. But I noticed a shift once I left the island and then I got to the States and everybody had a um, bachelor's, everybody had a master's or some form of PhD. And I was just like, oh, okay, I'm just going through the process. and I don't even have my degree yet. And I was just like, wow. And I want to apply for this competitive specialty. Like who's even going to look at my application? So um, I realized then that I had to do the work. I had to work harder than everyone else around me to even just be seen or even to be considered as qualified because I realized that for residency, I'm not just competing against like my classmates or people in the Caribbean. It's basically like the whole world because everybody's applying. Um, so I decided to like um, participate more in extracurricular activities because that's what I could do. I decided to volunteer more. Um, I joined AMSA, the American Medical Students Association, and I would participate in like all their scholarship programs. Like um, I know I did a reproductive justice program, a family planning program. I knew a little bit early on that I was interested in OB. So I I did little stuff like that. So I could, um, part of my CV, because I didn't have the undergraduate background. I didn't have like any like idea of what I was essentially doing. All I knew was that any opportunity I had to shine, I had to take it. So I volunteered more. I participated in research. I um, did scholarship programs and I essentially networked. I networked a lot. I spoke to a lot of people. It, it was so difficult because I had never met anyone in my situation. And up to now, I still haven't met anyone in my situation. Sometimes I have medical students saying, oh, Dr. Adeo, how do you do this? I was like, um, I might not be the best person to advise you because I didn't take the MCAT. And they're like, whoa, like you're a unicorn. I'm like, well, if you want to say that, but basically like it was very difficult. I'll just say that I, any opportunity that came my way and I felt like would make me look like a better candidate compared to other people who had everything, I just took it. I think that's the best way I can say it. Yeah, and you know, as someone who who also went through that pathway of going through a pre-medical track in the Caribbean, I understand exactly what that feels like is, you know, you feel like you should have an ideal standard when it comes to what your background should look like. Um, but then you realize that, well, you know, I still get to take the test. I still get to do the USMLE. I still get to perform. And you did really well on your boards as well, which speaks to your medical fund of knowledge, whether or not your background was different. And this also, I guess, is helpful for those who have the seven-year curriculum. Maybe they went to medical school in West Africa, India, Asia, South America, some of these other countries where it's a six, seven-year curriculum. And so they don't have a bachelor's degree, right? Or they don't have a paper saying you have a bachelor's degree, but you have education that is equivalent to that in another format. So I think that that's an area of weakness that I've noticed amongst IMGs is we get caught up on not having the standard when our focus should be on taking whatever competitive exams we have to take, such as the USMLE, to bring us to standard, um, which, you know, I, I think plays a big role. So let's talk about your journey into OB. Can you give us some perspective as to your performance on the USMLE? Did you have any gaps during your education? 
Sure. Uh, so for my USMLE, um, I took my step one immediately after I finished my MD5. So that's like my school was kind of like a transition period between um, medical school in the class and then rotations. Um, I passed my I passed all my board exams on first attempt. Um, my step one, I got a 232, which I was really happy about. Um, I did have a gap when preparing for that exam because it was a transition period for me. I had to leave the Caribbean and go back to Nigeria, apply for my visa. I didn't get my visa the first time. So I was just like, oh, okay. So I can't go back to the Caribbean. I can't go to the US. I might as well just read for um, step one. I ended up taking my step one in Ghana. Um, in the process of preparing for uh, my USMLE and passing it, I then reapplied for my visa. I got my visa and was like, okay, great. The next step is my rotations. Um, for rot um, so doing my rotations, I think I took I actually took my step two really late. Um, I took my step two I think a month before um, applications were due. So it was it, it was a really tight journey. I feel like looking back hindsight with twenty twenty vision, I feel like I rushed the process a little bit. Um, but I'm I'm happy to be where I am. Um, because after my I didn't so after that gap for my step one, I didn't have any other gaps. I was well, apart from the COVID gap, actually, during my rotations. Um, I started my third year, and then COVID happened in 2020. Then I had to have a six-month gap because with my visa, I had to be leaving the U.S. every six months. And at that time, they weren't allowing like um, foreigners into the country because of COVID. So I had a gap then. So I decided, okay, I have this time. I used to study for my step two. Um, then when I came back to the U.S., I had to then finish my course and start my electives and take steps to all within the span of nine months while preparing for the match. So I did end up taking my step to, I think, in September, like September 8th, and applications were due, like, I think on the 29th or something. My result ended up coming back like two days before the applications were due. Um, I passed that. I actually dropped a little bit in my step two because I really don't know what happened. I think maybe because of everything I was going through, um, but I still passed. I got a 222 on step two and that was like a huge blow to my ego because I was just like reading a lot of articles and were saying, oh, if you want to match into OB, you should get at least a 230 on step one. So I was like, okay, I had that. But for step two, they're like 240 or nothing. And I was like, well, we're already at this juncture, so I might as well just submit my application and see what happens. So I just submitted my application, and then the day interviews were released, I got interviews, and I was like, oh, okay, so here we are. Um, I think, what was the second question you asked beside my... Oh, the question was performance and steps, because a lot of people are interested in OB, um, but they don't have great scores, and that's usually a point of contention. So we were wanting to know, you know, what were your scores and how that played a role with the application. And then second, in addition to that, you know, gaps. And because a lot of people are very insecure about their gaps, knowing full well. I remember in your scenario, I kept telling you, like, there's nothing you can do about the pandemic. Like the pandemic happened to the world mm -hmm. and it, it interrupted everybody's life. So you can't feel insecure about something you had zero control over when rotations were canceled and we had a... You know, but it doesn't in that scenario, obviously, it's a little bit different because you're in it and you're like, it's going to play against me down the road. Um, but, you know, anyhow, long story short, what are your recommendations for those that are interested in OB when it comes to USMLE performance? I think do your best and leave the rest. Um, study hard. Everyone says finish your world. Try as much as possible to get through majority of the question bank. I would say do MBME practice tests. When you're doing the test and you see that, okay, you're not reaching your goal score, then just work on your weak points. 
that's why I always tell my friends or even people that I mentor, like work on your weak points. When you work on your weak points, that's, I always say that's where the money is. That's where you start to see improvements. So I would say that if you're interested in OB and you're really nervous about the score, just do your best, study for your exams, um, practice, pass your practice tests. And if you're within the score range you're comfortable with, just go and take the test. It's like, I don't know how to explain it to people, but I always tell people that it's a standardized test, yes, to level the playing field. But at the same time, like, you don't know what they're going to ask you. Like, for example, when I was studying for my step two, I was constantly scoring a 240. So I was like, okay, I might as well just go take my test. And then I ended up taking my test and I got a 222. So you literally don't know the type of questions or they're going to ask you or the concepts or where they're going to test. I'll just say that, do your best leave the rest if you feel like you're performing well on your practice test and you're sure and you're comfortable taking your exam that day and you're mentally prepared just take it um whatever score you get back don't let that like derail you from chasing your dream like if you want to be an OBGYN and you have like you passed your your exam maybe you failed and then you had to retake it but you still want to be an OBGYN that doesn't necessarily change your goal because you might feel like oh, they're going to reject me because I had this one failure. But you don't know that. You can't tell yourself no before actually hearing no from the person that would review your application and give you a chance. So I'll say irrespective of your scores or your fears, try and take your tests, pass them, and just apply. Right. No, I, I agree with that 100% because you can sit there and feel insecure about everything on your portfolio, or you could just take the next step, which is you know, giving yourself the chance to to put yourself at risk of rejection. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's the whole process of applying is putting yourself at risk of rejection. If you could go back on your pathway, you mentioned earlier that you felt like maybe you were rushing through things. If you can go back in time, what are some things that you would do differently? Um, well, now, because I ended up achieving everything I wanted to do, I would say I wouldn't have um, changed anything. But I would say I would have been kinder to myself during the process. It was, what year was that? I think 2021 was when I was applying for the 2022 match. It was really, really rough. Like I had to really structure myself for the entire year. I didn't give myself enough breathing space. So I think like in hindsight, I've just been kinder to myself. I'll probably not stress my mentors as much as I did. And I've just like enjoyed the process. Like um, I had to take every exam back to back. Like I think I took my... I took my, um, my step two was the last exam I took, but I took my OET, my step two. I had to prepare for residency applications. Um, I was also like doing research. It was really heavy. And I feel like um, I didn't give myself enough time to breathe because I was just like, let me just get the objective things out of the way. Um, I've just been kinder to myself, honestly. That's it. Right. I, I think that's sort of something that everybody can take home today is like sometimes just stop and breathe like it's OK. It will be OK. Um, And it may not be OK in the year that you want it to be OK, but it eventually does work out. Um, And I, I think the process is so stressful. It's so hard to see beyond the present. Right. Um, So let's, you know, segue into some of the specifics of OBGYN residency application, which Lately, there's been some talk around specific letters of recommendations and, you know, how many is too many or too little. Uh, based on your perspective, what are, what are we seeing in this current atmosphere when it comes to OB LORs for application? Um, I can only speak from my experience, which is like an outlier. Um, I actually dual applied. I applied family medicine and OB because my prior, as much as I love OB, 
I also did love family medicine a lot. And I was like very open to being either um, specialty. So for my OB application, I got four letters. I on when I was like researching, they were saying like three to four letters. I never did any rotation at the residency program. So I didn't have access to like letters from chiefs or letters from program directors. Like if I had that, that would have been amazing, but I didn't have that. I only had letters from my OB attendings that I did um, rotations with. Um, so for that application, I had one letter from my internal medicine doctor who really knew me to the core because I spent three months with her and she really taught me a lot. That was my first time coming to America and like really adjusting. So she saw me like brand new and how much I improved and how hardworking I was. So I felt like it was right for me to ask her for a letter. Um, and then my other three letters came specifically from OBGYN doctors. But that was my own decision because, as I said earlier, I felt like I didn't have what everyone else had. So I was like, if I'm applying to OB, I want the people who had trained in the specialty to really speak up for me because I, I didn't have a lot of um, opportunity. And then I think for my family medicine application, I had letters from my family medicine doctor, um, my the doctor I did psychiatry with, and um, I think, I can't remember, a, a pediatrician. Yeah, that was it. Yeah. And, and I remember that too, you know, mentioning about dual applications and, you know, there's, if, if, a, if an applicant, it's not mandatory, everybody must do two applications. Um, I think that everybody has a different set of circumstances. And I remember when we talked about this in the past um, and correct me if I'm wrong, if I remember right, it was more for you, it was like, yeah, I'm okay doing this backup because it's more important for me to match than to not match. Mm-hmm. Um, and you felt like you could also do some level of deliveries with FM, even though that wasn't your primary focus. So I guess what we're saying today for the listeners, you don't have to necessarily follow Toyosi's pathway, but that's something she considered because her circumstances where she wanted a match no matter what. And she was also okay with the thought of maybe having some ancillary OB work around what she did, even if it wasn't primary, though her heart was always in OB from day one. I can tell you that for sure. Mm-hmm. Um now, just speak about scores or, or OB entrance, you know, performance. Now, obviously, step one used to be a, you know, numerical. Now it's pass fail. So that's sort of like everybody's on the same level playing field. But um, as you know, whenever there's a failure, that always can throw people off from maybe not wanting to review application with as much um, desire as if there was not a failure. Now, step one, failures typically affect everyone across the board, no matter the specialty. However, I do know that there are students that have not passed that exam that are in practice today, that are uh, physicians or in residency. However, OB is also one of those programs where I think based on one of the program director surveys um, from the last few years, about 34% of OB programs will not consider a, a failed step one. But 34% doesn't define everybody. So if you're listening to this and you're thinking that rules me out, that's not what I'm saying. Um, What I'm saying is the data from the past have shown that about 34% of OBGYN programs would typically not consider a failed step one candidate. However, I know OB candidates who have also failed step one and who have become OBGYN. So at the end of the day, that's just sharing with you why it's important to do well on the first attempt. Another key factor to remember is obviously IMGs, whether you're U.S. IMGs or non-U.S. IMGs, are not often ranked highly at OB programs, 
not this is not a general this is a generalization meaning that depending on how you interview you may rank well with a, an ob program and so we're not saying that if you're an img you will not be ranked that's not what i'm saying but um there is about from that same program director survey which is published by the nrmp there was about like a 12 percent range that will rank us imgs 12 percent of programs that will routinely rank us imgs meaning year after year after year they rank imgs and about 4% of OB programs that routinely rank non-US IMGs as, as well, meaning year after year after year, they consistently rank non-US IMGs. So it's imperative on the applicant that when you're applying, you're looking at you know the locality where this program is located. You're looking at the structure of the program, who's in the program, because that gives you an idea, right? Because mm -hmm. on the flip side, you have about 40% that will never consider US IMG, uh, an IMG. And they'll tell you that on their website, we do not necessarily take IMGs, right? Um, and not, nothing bad against us. It's just the way that that program is structured and the, the, the population that they serve or whatever the case may be. And, you know, sharing this information because I get a lot of questions about, um, you know, hey, Dr. Loom, what do you think about you know, my specialty or my desire to match into OB or to match into this specialty or that specialty. Each specialty is different. Each program is different. Um, performance on your exam is still important. Absolutely so. Networking is also important. Your application packet in general is important. Your communication during, before, after interview is important. All these factors play a role um, as well. But, you know, not to steal your show, Dr. Toyosi, let's come back to you. Um, so can you give our listeners some practical tools if they are interested in OB as IMGs, especially because you applied as a visa applicant? Yeah. Um, what are you seeing and, and what would you tell that person who is even a U.S. IMG that maybe can feel like, hey, I even have an upper hand because I don't have a visa or a non-U.S. IMG may feel like, man, it's, you know, it's not an option for me because I do have a visa. Um, I think it's important to rotate in the specialty. Um, whatever kind of rotation you can get. I didn't have the opportunity at rotating through a residency program, but if you do have that opportunity, I think that's amazing because the way um, residency programs structured as specific rotations to medical students is really helpful and gives you a good feel of what the specialty is. So in my situation, um, I didn't have access to residency programs, but through my electives, I could have worked with other OBGYN doctors in their clinics, and they also took me to like, the ORY assisted in surgeries. So I think the biggest thing is having rotations in that specialty. One, for the experience. Two, um, because you can get a good letter. But three, because it also gives you good insight into what your life would be like as an OB. Um, even though my experience was outside of like a residency program, I, when I got into residency, I was shocked. I was like really taken aback at um, how um, high and fast paced like the labor and delivery floor is so i think if you have the opportunity to do a rotation at the residence program 100 take it um the second thing i'll say is research um ob is research heavy even though there are some people that match into ob without any research you also have to consider their whole package like you don't know if they have a master's you don't know if they were like um in an honor society or something but i think look at your situation and always think in the back of your mind like oh how can i do better or be better or appear better um, on paper. So I'll say having research in general, not just research specific to OBGYN, any form of research. So you can have like a good idea of research once you get into residency, because once you get into residency, it will be, you're, you're going to be publishing. You're going to be publishing a lot. And um, the fact that you write as an IMG, even though you have like 
what quote unquote like a lower hand the fact that you have research at the back of your belt like makes a residency program look at you more like oh she actually knows how to do research she has an idea she comes to our program she'll be able to contribute more to our um academics um another thing i'll say is volunteering i think um because ob is very heavy on like compassion and also being um you know focused on patient care i think volunteering and having a lot of volunteering experiences will help you especially because it shows that even though you're very busy you go out of your way to um contribute to the community so i think those are the three things i'll say and um get an a mentor in if not if you it is difficult for you to get a mentor in the field you're interested in get a mentor at least someone to guide you especially someone who has been through the process it might be very difficult to find someone who was in your own specific situation i was lucky enough to find dr loom whose um, experiences mirrored mine a little bit um and she was able to guide me even though she she's not in the specialty that um i am in right now i think it's important to have someone who has gone through the process and can give you specific feedback because you have some people, I had so many people tell me, oh, you're never going to get into OB. Oh, you're, you need a visa. Oh, don't apply into OB. Just, um, I had someone tell me I should take a research year or something, but my visa was counting. I didn't have that option. I was just like, you know what? This is my one chance. Let me do it. So get a mentor, someone who actually believes in you and if no one else believes in you you have to really believe in yourself and be like okay this is what I want why do I want it you always have to go back what is my why like why do I want to do this and just fight for it I always tell myself and like my friends like give yourself a fighting chance so that's my spiel no absolutely 100% give yourself a fighting chance because you just never know when you'll just be able to cross over that hump and I think it's important that even if you know like in your story I would have said do it. And even if you didn't match, you would still be doing it again. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, but then you'd be doing it again with so much more information, maybe with that research here under your belt, maybe with that extra amount of work under your belt, but however the case may be, you continue to do things to improve yourself, improve your knowledge of the specialty, prove your commitment to the specialty so that you only become more and more and more and more appealing for, Mm -hmm. for others. So I'm going to ask you this question and you can feel free to answer however you want to answer because I'm about to relaunch the IMG Roadmap program again this year. Um, And I want you to share with anyone listening if and how maybe that program was beneficial for you so that if they're interested, maybe this could be like their reason to say, hey, I should consider joining this program. Sure. Okay. So I did Dr. Lou's program twice. Um, So the first time was when I first came to America and I was doing my rotations. I literally didn't know what I was doing and then I think I was randomly on Instagram and I saw like her program and I was like I think I should join this because I really don't know what I'm doing all I know is my end goal I want to be a doctor working in America that's all I knew so I joined her program and it gave me a lot of insight especially as someone who was starting rotations I think you had a module on rotations um, what to expect as an IMG and how to prepare so once I went through the program I understood what I was doing I understood why I was doing my rotations, not just to learn, but also to be integrated into the US system to understand exactly what's going on, to interact with doctors. Like you're in the hospital, you're seeing different doctors from different specialties, you're treating or assisting in treating different patients. So that really gives you a different mindset. I feel like once it's very different. A lot of people just, I feel like a lot of people come here 
for rotations and just like oh I just have to like check it off but it's actually a huge learning opportunity and I got that through the program that's why I, I had the confidence to say oh please once I'm done with this rotation I would really appreciate a letter of recommendation but before I would ask for a letter of recommendation I made sure I worked really hard during that rotation so I didn't come late I came on days that I wasn't even required to come just to assist you know to just show that extra effort and I feel like if I didn't go through the program I wouldn't have known that because no one was available to advise me to do that. Um, also through the program, I understood the importance of um, volunteering. I didn't even know like I had to volunteer or do all these things. Like I mentioned earlier, I, I how when I said I realized I had to work harder than everyone else was when I went through Dr. Loon's program. Like I I would have just thought, oh, let me try for the match. No, I don't think the match is something you just try to do. I think the match is something you work and prepare for. Like you can't say, oh, I'm going to wake up and catch the bus. No, you have to actually know what time the bus is coming. And I feel like that's what the IMG roadmap prepared me for. I didn't know um, when applications were due. I didn't know what a letter of recommendation was. I didn't even know how to get volunteering opportunities. So I feel like through the program, I honestly, like I I tell people like, if not for Dr. Loom, I don't know where I'll be. Like if Dr. Loom is selling anything in this life, I'm going to buy it. Like I always tell people because- I really feel like her program really, really helped me because I had like zero clue what I was doing and it gave me a lot of guidance. Yeah, I'm happy you said that because I get people who message me on Instagram and say, oh, I'm going to reach out to you when I'm ready to apply. And I'm like, no, honey, I wouldn't be able to help you when you're ready to apply. Like it'll be too late, right, to help you to apply. Like you're not going to reach out to me in September and say, yeah, can you? No, it's too late. I cannot do anything about your past. I cannot do anything about everything you've already done. Um, at that point, we're just trying to, I don't know what we're trying to do, maybe get you ready for the interview that you get if you do get one. Um, however, a lot of the work really starts with when you are in medical school and when you are, particularly, I think the peak season is right before the end of second year, beginning of third year. I think that's the best time for anyone that can come under my teaching because you have a you have the ability to transform those next two years because the things that you do in those next two years are actually what will align you into residency. That's we we're talking about mentors earlier. Getting a mentor in your specialty, how are you going to get that if you're not actively looking for one in that rotation? And then how do you, what are the things that you do? How do you approach them? What's the script that you say? And then the next step, okay, you want to write a paper, you want to publish. All those things, you're not going to publish them in September that you're applying. Those are things you're going to do in third and fourth year if you're a career medical student. And if you're not a career medical student, you can still be doing those things on the side of whatever else you're pursuing in the United States or outside of the United States simultaneously with your plan to apply. So I think I get that question often and I'm like, no, 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 no. Don't, don't think that you can wait till the end. I, I don't have a magic wand to transform your application in September when you haven't had time to come under my teaching and sort of practically transform your day-to-day -day right now so that it's meaningful in September. Like your every month is accounted for or has some kind of clinically relevant activity that you've been doing or research and whatnot when the time comes. So definitely um, 100%. Thanks for sharing that. And Guys, if you want to know more, go to drninaloom.com slash testimonials, and you'll see a list of what prior students have said um, about the program. So before we let you go, what are some of your, you know, how are you coping these days? How are you making it through the residency pressure? The pressure is getting worse. 
Yes. How are you making it through? Um, what you know, what keeps you going? Um, hundred percent. The pressure is getting worse. Huh? Um, I feel like what keeps me going is remembering how hard I work to be here. I remember like being like, oh my god, I want to do Ovi was like Ovi or nothing or women's health or nothing. And I feel like I always have to remind myself to be grateful for where I am because there there are a lot of people who want to be where I am and they haven't like had that chance or had the opportunity. So I think that's something that keeps me going. Like, and also if not this, what else would I be doing? You know what I mean? So I'm always like, I love what I'm doing. So I just have to keep going. Like I have no choice. I'm already in it. Like I just have to swim. Um, and that's it. Like residency is really hard to say the least. I feel like as a medical student, everyone will be like, residency is hard. And I just like, oh, is it just waking up early? No, it's not just waking up early. Like you're working on a tired brain and you always have to like ensure you're producing the best um, patient outcome to the best of your ability or the current knowledge base that you have. And then just getting used to performing like different surgical skills and being in a really high stress environment. I think residency is really difficult. Um, and when I think for applicants, when you're applying, um, apply where you apply everywhere. As, as an ING, apply everywhere. But when you're ranking, rank according to where you want to go be, and what you want to do. Because at the end of the day, like everything is going to be really hard. Everything is going to be really difficult. Some days will be really good. And some days will be really, really bad, which is has been my experience. Some days are good, some days are bad. But at the end of the day, you always have to remember like, okay, why did I get to the specialty? What is my end goal? You shouldn't let like little things derail you from your end goal and the kind of physician that you want to be. So I think that's what keeps me going. And God, and my um, encouragement for my friends and family and my mentors. Yeah, no, absolutely. Thanks for sharing all those great, great tips. We will give you back all your time left in your day so you can rest and recover for another night shift again. Um but thank you for coming on. How can IMGs connect with you, link up with you, ask you more questions? Uh, sure. Um, I think I can give you guys my Instagram account. So you can follow my Instagram account. I have a medical page called Medic T. So that's M-E-D-I-C-T-E-Y. And my my personal account, you can follow my personal account at Toya C, two underscores A. So Toya C underscore underscore A. And yeah, and you can reach me through there. I always respond to my um, messages, even though like I get really tired most of the time. I can reply within like a week. <laughs> yeah. So we'll have all your links down below in the show notes so that anyone listening who wants to connect with you, you'll be able to one click and find her on all the different social media platforms that she's provided for us today. So thank you for being here. Um, thank you for spending your, your time with us. We appreciate your recommendations and advice. And I hope that this podcast, I know it will be helpful. And so because of that, I'm asking you, the listener, to rate this podcast. Go ahead and rate us. Give us a five-star. Tori, see, I know you used to listen to this podcast. Have you ever rated this podcast? Yes, I rated it a lot. Like I listen, okay. no, I you guys don't understand. I listened to Dr. Um like crack. Like I was begging for my life. <laughs> um, so yes, so she has rated the podcast before. If you haven't, obviously it's probably legal for me to go rate my own podcast. But if mm -hmm. I have been rated, I'll obviously give it a five stars, right? But yeah. I can't do that. So I want you, the listener, you, the IMG, who is benefiting from this podcast for free to please help me reach more IMGs by rating the podcast. That's all I'm asking for you. I've given you free content on Instagram, 
Facebook, the podcast. All I'm asking in return is that you tell me how you really feel in the rate and review section, wherever you're listening. That's Apple, Spotify, Google, wherever you're listening, just scroll down to the very bottom. I think a majority of my listeners are on Apple, but scroll down to the very bottom and just rate us. You put a five stars, you write a comment, and that helps me reach more and more and more students and graduates. So thank you for coming. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. Look at you. I'm so proud of you for listening until the very end. And because of that, you deserve a reward. And I want you to go right now to drninaloom.com and download any of my free ebooks, whether it's for electives or clinical rotations, or even just whatever trials come your way as you navigate your IMG journey. Stay tuned for another episode coming up next.